So Ashley miss, uh, mentioned all the, the Christmas decorations. Uh, it's, almost, it's almost Advent, but we're not quite there yet. This week isn't, so no Christmas stuff, okay? It's up, just ignore all that. This morning we're going to be wrapping up actually part one of the Gospel of John. Uh, and then next week we're going to move into the Advent season. John's Gospel, it doesn't start with the Christmas story or the birth of Jesus Christ. Actually, it starts way before then. We, we talked about that back in chapter 1. And then it jumps to Jesus' baptism and his public ministry. And so, um, after Christmas, in the new year, we're going to come back to the Gospel of John for part 2. And, and then that will carry us all the way through Lent and Easter of next year. But during Advent, we're going to jump over to the book of Luke, and we're, we're going to remember the story of Jesus' birth his first advent we're going to call that series tell the story um i'm really looking forward to to going through luke together and i'm looking forward to that series especially as it culminates on christmas eve because christmas eve is actually on a sunday this year and during that service we're actually going to do things just a little bit different we're going to actually practice telling the story together what i mean by that is we're going to uh, walk through sort of an interactive service where everybody's a part of it. Um, everybody's going to get to play a part, kids and adults alike. We're going to have singing. We're going to have scripture readings. We're going to have a candle lighting. We're going to have call and response, and we're going to have the kids involved, and there's going to be a lot more. Um, we'll all just kind of get to do all the parts together and tell the story together. I, I think it'll be pretty neat. It's hard to explain, but I think that we'll enjoy it, and I think it's a great way to celebrate. So I just want to say, before we even jump into the season, plan to be here uh, as, as we tell the story through the season, but especially on Christmas Eve, I think it'll be a great time together. But before we get into all of that, forget all of that Christmas stuff, this morning we'll be in chapter 11 of John, and it's the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the tomb. So let's go ahead, and we're going to read the first part of that story together. If you want to be in John 11 with me in your Bibles or on the screen, we're going to read the first 16 verses. It goes like this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Remember that. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Then after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. 
but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So throughout this series, throughout the first 10 chapters or so of John, we've talked a lot about John's purpose in writing this book. He says what it is, John 20, verse 31. He writes, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so far, we've seen how Jesus proclaimed in word and deed that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God who has come to forgive sin and to give life. He's the one that all the scriptures ever promised. He's the one that the religious traditions and the feasts and the festivals all were anticipating. Surely the disciples believe this is who he is. They've said it. We've heard them say it numerous times throughout the story in John and here in John 11, I think their, their belief is demonstrated again as Jesus like gears up to go back to Judea. They all say, they, they all see the danger of going back there. If you remember from uh, last week, uh, Hanukkah, Jesus was at Hanukkah and the Jewish authorities were ready to stone Jesus and then he escaped. And so going back to Judea to the funeral of Lazarus, uh, Jesus would certainly end up back on their radar. And so it's a risky trip. But I love how Thomas speaks up and he says, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't think he knows the weight of his words. But his, de- his dedication to follow Jesus into danger demonstrates his belief in Jesus. Yet Jesus says in verse 14 and 15 that we just read, Lazarus has died and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. To believe what? I mean, don't they already believe? Haven't they already said so? Aren't they willing to go with him? I mean, if the disciples don't believe, nobody believes, right? Let's look at the next part of the story. It's John eleven seventeen through 27. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So here we see Jesus arrives and Martha comes out to him. And we know Martha believes, like, because without hesitation, the first words out of her mouth affirm her belief, right? Lazarus is dead, but if Jesus had been there, he wouldn't be. The wording of what she says there is a little bit tricky to me because she says, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And to me, that kind of sounds like she's saying that uh, even if Jesus asked now, then Lazarus would be raised from the dead. But she isn't saying that 
Because Jesus tells her that Lazarus will rise again, and she takes it more like a comforting word. She believes in a final resurrection and therefore believes that Lazarus will live in eternity with God and that this is what Jesus is talking about. We ourselves often comfort one another with the same belief, and it's not wrong, but it isn't what Jesus meant. And if she was asking him to raise Lazarus from the dead, she would have recognized that. And so recognizing that Martha isn't quite on the same page, Jesus presses her a little bit. Verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha's response, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha believes. The disciples believe. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the promised one that the Scriptures spoke of, the one that all their feasts and their traditions looked forward to. They believe that. But Jesus wants them to believe more. In John 20, verse 31, we see that John's purpose, like I said, in writing this is really twofold. He said, it's so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see what's going on here? They believe the first part, that Jesus is who he says he is. But they haven't quite tapped into that second part Jesus, Jesus just said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And even in her grief, she's professing her belief, but I think she missed what Jesus was saying. Like they know Jesus is the Christ. They know he's going to deliver his people somehow. They know that he's doing God-sized things, but they don't know that he will die. And they don't know that he will defeat death and that he'll rise again. And they don't know that he's what he's... Uh, going to do so that those who believe can live free from death. They don't fully know about the life in his name part yet. Which is why Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. But she didn't say anything about believing in him for life. It just wasn't quite registering yet. And so Jesus is going to help show Martha and the disciples and us, more about what it means for him to be the resurrection and the life, starting with raising his dear friend Lazarus from the dead. So we're going to finish the story. It's verses 28 through 53. It's a bit long, but just hang with me. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. This is a pivotal moment in John's gospel. He really kind of gives us a look into the mind and the heart and the soul of Jesus and what he determined to do. In this moment, Jesus is greatly moved by the grief of his dear friends. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. That's a deeply moving picture. And if you were to break this whole scene down, you find that there's like a lot of complexity to what's happening here. There's real grief happening all around him, but there's also like professional grieving. As much of it was likely done by hired professionals who were there to go through the customs. And there was also like all this murmuring around him about him being there and his presence or, or lack thereof before Lazarus dies. And so Jesus likely felt at the same time Sadness and anger, maybe other things. But Jesus knew fully what he was about to do. He had known for days what he was going to do. But the state of the world around him, the brokenness of death, the whispers about he could, how he could have done something if he was there, the lack of belief that's mixed with like some partial belief and some misguided beliefs, and the fact that the news of what he is about to do would surely spread quickly, which meant once he did this, he'd be crucified soon. And what we see in this scene is Jesus holding all of that intention, allowing himself to fully feel it, and weeping, and then de deliberately and mercifully acting. See, this is just 
This isn't just the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, which is astonishing and it's wonderful. But this is Jesus determining to die in order to give life for his friend Lazarus. This is Jesus laying his own life down for his friend. Like I said, Thomas certainly didn't know what he was saying at the beginning when he said, let us also go that we may die with him. But, but that kind of commitment to die for a friend is exactly what Jesus was demonstrating. Jesus had already said, we read it last week, that he's the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep and who has the power to take his own life up again. And with this miracle, with the raising of Lazarus from the dead, Jesus has set in motion his own act of doing just that and shown that he can and will do it. As we see in the last verse of this chapter or this section, verse 57. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. This is what I hope for us to see this morning. What we're calling like part one of John's gospel, this first 10, 11 chapters, has demonstrated and proclaimed who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's shown it over and over and over again. And hopefully for us, it's like stretched our understanding even of what he meant by that. And maybe it's caused us to believe uh, Jesus for who he says he is. But now we're transitioning from a belief that simply like agrees with and affirms who Jesus is to belief that changes us, a belief that moves us and transforms us and gives us life. One of my favorite things that Jesus ever says in all of the Gospels is John eleven twenty five through 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus wants Martha and Mary and the disciples and all of us who would follow him to really see what that means. It means that in him, we can walk right through death. It means that death cannot hold us. It cannot end us. It cannot conquer us. He is our life. He isn't just saying that this is true. He shows it. He demonstrates it. He makes a dead man come back to life. I mean, just think about that, right? Lazarus hears and obeys Jesus from beyond the grave. Jesus said that the illness wasn't leading to death. And regardless of the state of Lazarus' very dead body, he was alive. He heard the voice of Jesus and he obeyed. So what Jesus is revealing is that the grave has no power over him. And therefore, it has no power over those who belong to him. Death is not the end. We walk through it. He gives us eternal life. He's the well that doesn't run dry. The one who drinks from him will never go thirsty again. And Jesus knows this in his own mind and in his own heart fully. And he demonstrates it by raising Lazarus. And it's why Jesus can lay his life down for his sheep. It's because, though it may hurt, death doesn't have power over Jesus. Like Reggie said a couple weeks ago, Jesus is not afraid of the darkness He's the light of the world. He is life. That's what I want us to get. But here's why I think Jesus wanted his disciples to get this, why this transition is happening, 
why we have to get this. It's because only when we fully believe that He is our life, meaning that death has no hold on us and that we can walk through death in His name, only when we fully believe that can we really put ourselves aside knowing that He is all that we need for today and for every day and for eternity. And only when we find life in Jesus like that can we follow Jesus into laying our life down for others, which is the way of Jesus. It is the way of His kingdom. It's how He ushers in His kingdom. It's how the news of who Jesus really is and what He's really like, it's how that spreads. It's by His people doing what Jesus does and finding that life that's truly lived, lives free from death and, be, and can be given away freely and generously to all. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have, this is so good. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is the kind of belief Jesus is leading us into. The kind that lets us in on the reality of eternal living in Jesus so that we don't fear death. And so that we know that He's everything we need and more, and we don't have to cling to the things of this world. So that means that we can give others what we have. We can lay our stuff down. We can even lay our life down to show others the love and the life of Jesus. You know, beliefs, like religious or otherwise, will lead a lot of people to die. Wars are fought for beliefs. People die to stand up for what they believe in. We honor soldiers who have died fighting for their country, and that's not just unique to the United States. Many people have died for their countries, and those who have done that for this country and others certainly died for their beliefs. But the way of Jesus is different. The way of Jesus is even better because the way of Jesus doesn't die fighting. Like when Jesus is arrested later in the story, he doesn't go down swinging. When Peter takes a swing with a sword and cuts off one of the guard's ears, Jesus makes him put away the sword and he heals the man who's helping to arrest him. And this is what Jesus always does. This is always his mind. In the second part of John, we'll see in the spring, uh, Jesus kneels down and does what no rabbi would ever do, and he washes the disciples' feet. And he did this to show them the better way, to show them his way, the way of laying down yourself for the sake of others. And then, of course, the ultimate show is Jesus died on a cross. He gave himself over to be crucified. And as we're entering Advent, Paul's words in Philippians, I think, are a reminder that even Jesus' first coming his emptying himself and putting on flesh, his coming to us in a lowly manger. He was laying his life down for us who were his enemies to give us life, to make us his friends, his brothers, his sisters even. This is what Jesus is always doing. And this is the way Jesus is leading us to believe in him. 
He doesn't just want our confession, our agreement that he is who he says he is, that he's the Christ, the Son of God. There's more that he wants for us. He doesn't just want you to agree that the stories are true. He wants you to believe in him for your life. You know, I think it's kind of easy to talk about laying ourselves down to put others first. But in all reality, I think we all know it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. Even the smallest acts of humility and putting others first can turn our stomachs in the day-to-day stuff of life, right? Sometimes, often even for me, I don't, I don't want to put my wife and my kids before me, right? I mean, honestly, at the risk of sounding like maybe the worst person in the room, sometimes the very idea of doing a chore that's kind of normally Claire's thing, that makes me feel cheated and it makes me angry. Sometimes in the evenings, like staying up with the kids to do something for them makes me angry that I'm missing out on my downtime. Some of you might be able to relate to that. I know it makes me sound awful, but I don't think that I'm alone. Putting ourselves aside, even for the ones that we love the very most in this world, can be really hard, even in little ways. But that's either because we don't know Jesus or because our eyes have come off of Jesus. It's because we've lost perspective on the life that he gives us. I mean, when we look to Jesus, it's not that we just go, oh yeah, I have to do the stuff for others or else I'm being disobedient. And that's not good. No, it's, it's when we see who Jesus really is and what he does and how he gives us eternal life, which means that we will always and forever be given all that we ever need for every day, forever. That's when we find that we have nothing to lose and we have everything to give. We don't have to cling to our stuff and our fun and our downtime and our sleep and our money and our food and our reputation or anything. We can love others freely, even our enemies, no matter the cost, because Jesus is our life, and not even death can defeat us. Belief in Jesus isn't just agreeing that all the stories are true. It's finding that all the stories are true and being completely changed by the truth, that he's the resurrection and he's the life, and then believing in him for your life so that your life flows from his and makes him known for who he really is. And so the invitation to respond this morning is really quite simple. If you haven't known Jesus in this way, if you haven't been a follower of Jesus, but you want to follow him, come to him. Cling to him. Find your life in him. I'd be happy to talk with you or to pray with you or you can grab somebody that you know and you can talk and pray with them. But come to him this morning. Or maybe you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of God. Maybe you believe that all the stories are true and you, you, you accept that and affirm that, that he forgives sins. But let us also pray that he helps our unbelief. Help us to find our life in him but we're not currently finding our life in him. And maybe some of us just need to name some of those places of unbelief. Ask him to shine the light of life there and to change our hearts to be more like his. He's demonstrated his desire and his 
ability to give himself to us. And so the invitation is to cling to him for your life this morning. We're going to move into a time of response, and you can continue to prayerfully respond to him. The band's also going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. Uh, And then we're going to take communion together as we do each Sunday at Redemption. And as you come, there's a giving box in the back where you can give your tithes and offerings. You might give that online uh, as we do that. However it goes, take a moment in this time of response to remember that that's happening, even if it's just slipping out of your account. And remember God is your provider and sustainer of life, your life giver. And that response of giving is in worship and response to exactly who he is. It's an act of trust. And as we come to take communion, we we come and we take the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. And this, of course, is representing the, the, the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us. Jesus died and he rose again to give us new life. We're remembering that and we're proclaiming that truth to one another. We're telling the story to one another. And so if you're a Christian, if that's something you confess and you believe, would you come and remember and proclaim that with us together, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not? I'm going to pray for us and we'll move into this time of response. Our Father, I think the prayer that's on my heart this morning for us is that, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. I think it's easy, even if we, I don't know, forgetful people, which is why we come and take communion, is because we need to be reminded week in and week out and day in and day out and minute by minute of the truth, but I'm reminded, Lord, that we believe, but sometimes it just becomes like this rote thing that we believe. We agree to it. We affirm that that's true. We know that the events happened 2,000 years ago, but it's hard to translate it and hard to believe it 2,000 years later in the everyday stuff of our life. And so, um, Lord, help us to hear these stories and not just accept it or just say yes to it, but like be changed by it. Help us to see what you did that you obviously conquered death, that you have authority and power over death. Not only did you raise Lazarus, but you died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, and you took your life up again, and you rose. And the thing that you promised over and over and over and over again is that you're the light of the world and that you're a life our life, and if we come to you, we'll never thirst, and it will never die, 
that will walk right through it. God, help us to believe that in a way that changes how we live, that changes what our definition of life is. Help, help in the smallest ways to where I can gladly do a chore for my wife without resenting or cheating, but because I want to be generous. Because it doesn't really cost me anything. Help us to do it in those little ways. And God, ultimately, in, in every area of life. You are who you say you are. You died and you rose again. Help us believe.
You guys can stand with us. We're going to continue to worship together by reading the corporate confession of sin and assurance of pardoning grace. Um, as we read this, I want to remind us that when we repent, we repent joyfully, knowing that new life comes from our repentance. And I'm going to read what's first, if you'll read what's in the after. For when we refuse to take the gospel road of sacrifice and love, for when we do not live according to your ways, but to what makes us feel most comfortable, for when we need your spirit to make us able to live the cruciform life, and Jesus' words that assure us are, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live.
Worthy 